This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, Episode 163, Why Banks Need Life Insurance Companies. Traditional financial planning is no longer working. And in the new normal economy, your host, certified financial planner Mark Willis, invites you to join us as we engage the new and improved steps for establishing financial sanity. Be curious, be stable, be sane. This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. Hey guys, welcome to this week's episode, and I am glad to have you with me. I want to tell you a quick story before we dive into our esteemed guest's interview today. When I was a kid, one of my first real jobs, I guess I was more of a teenager, one of my first real jobs was working at a pallet recycling factory in Indianapolis. I worked early mornings. I got there about 5 o'clock in the morning, and immediately I was running at a sprint As I got started in my day, and all day long, they keep you moving at a fast pace. I remember nail guns shooting nails past me as I'm flying down the the alleys of all these pallets. I still remember huge trucks that that I'd have to sweep out, big, heavy pallets full, and I'd stack those pallets 30 feet deep, and I'd come home covered in black soot, these grimy trucks. I remember another job working at a battery wholesaler quickly finding my blue jeans getting burned away from battery acid. Yes, I had some pretty dirty jobs. I bet you some of you guys have had those jobs too. I was not the owner of those businesses. I still remember the owner always had the nicest office at the factory. I definitely was not the owner. I was merely a company asset. A hard word, I realize, but that was the truth. I was merely an asset of the business. And it was a good season of my life. I would not trade the work ethic that I learned at those jobs for the world. But I would be foolish to think I would be happy if I was stuck in that position for my entire life. Now, ask yourself, in your financial life, would you rather be the asset or the owner? Would you rather be the asset or the owner? Now, when it comes to your money with where you keep it, are you somebody else's asset? Think about that for a minute. If you have a mutual fund, yes, maybe that's an asset on your sheet, but isn't it also an asset on somebody else's balance sheet too? The government, yeah, that's partly their cash. Investment managers, yes, they see your mutual fund as partly his. You're merely an asset on their balance sheets. If you have a house with a mortgage, you might think that house is yours, that you're the owner, but truly you're an asset on the bank's balance sheet. If it's starting to feel like your jeans are burning just thinking about this, then listen on. (laughs) Wouldn't it be better if you were the owner, where you're owning the company where you kept your cash? What if you could be the owner of the mortgage company that you had a mortgage with? That's the question I want to start us off on as we dive into our episode with Kevin Greer. Kevin is from Bank Financial, and he's had over 21 years of experience lending, and has closed over $100 million in real estate financing transactions. Kevin is a commercial and multifamily real estate specialist. In addition, Kevin has been on bank REO committees and REO disposition teams. Lastly, Kevin has personally bought and sold several real estate properties over the past 15 years. Kevin will talk about the current lending environment, how to access lending capital his bank has available, and what the underwriters and loan committee are looking for to approve your deals. So take it away, Kevin. Kevin, welcome to the show. 
Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, glad to have you on the show. First of all, I'd love to learn more about our guests as kiddos first. We're all people first. Tell us how you earned that first dollar, how you brought the first bit of dollars value into the world, so to speak. Sure. It's interesting. I'm the middle child of three, and my father has always been a bit of an entrepreneur. He worked a job, a regular job, but then he moonlighted as an electrician. And he used to take me on his jobs with, with electrical installs. And then he, in addition to that, he owned a pest control company and he would take me and show me ropes. And so he got, he piqued my interest in entrepreneurship. And of course I had to go to school. So I graduated, went to college, graduated from University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. And then I came out and I started working for American General Finance as a loan officer doing personal loans. And then one day, a gentleman came in and said that he wanted to use his Jaguar as collateral to get a loan. And I said, what is it that you do? <laughs> and uh, I kind of piqued my interest a little bit. And he said, I'm a loan officer. That's a loan officer. You know, I, at the time, I didn't know what it was. I was fresh out of college, didn't know anything about it. And he explained to me what he did in terms of providing mortgages for people that want to buy houses and so on and so forth. And so about a, a month later, the guy called me back up and called me in and said, hey, look, I think you'd be good at, 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 at what I do and, and interviewed me. And that was the beginning. <laughs> Fascinating. Okay. So tell us your path now. What do you do and how do you bring value to the marketplace? Sure. So I've been a lender slash banker for over 25 years. And so most of my, I would say a good 15 years or so of my career, I did a lot of residential lending, also did commercial lending, but I've always wanted to transition full-time into commercial and multifamily lending. So Bank Financial offered that opportunity for me. And what I do now is focus on bringing value add to investors that want to acquire commercial or multifamily property. So that's what I currently do now. Who is it that comes to you? Who is your ideal client? Who are the people looking for commercial real estate lending? Mark, I see all types, to be honest with you. I see newbies that are transitioning from residential, say fix and flip, the two flat, three flat buyers to transitioning to commercial, the six units and the 12 units to working with higher, uh, more experienced investors that are into syndication and buying 50 units plus, 100 units plus. So I see the full gamut and uh, my goal is to help them get from point A to point Z. Great. And what's the craziest thing you've seen in the commercial lending space? If it's bringing a Jaguar for collateral, maybe that's it. Because <laughs> that's a story waiting to happen right there, Kevin. What's the craziest thing you've seen in this business? Yeah, that's a good question. Most of the craziest stuff I see is when um, you're dealing with, say, family members that have inherited properties, and then you try to unwind that whole situation in terms of, okay, dealing with probate and trying to help people determine how they can 
pull out the equity and, and, and so on and so forth. So it's more of an education process dealing with those type of situations. But I, I would say just dealing with families that are trying to acquire or uh, refinance properties that was inherited. So I, those seem to be mm. the most challenging ones. Money, inheritance, family. Yeah, uh, These are all topics we, we have uh, a lot of conversations about on our podcast. And one of the interesting things that along a lot of our longtime listeners understand is the bank on yourself concept using cash value, whole life insurance. And in fact, in some ways, you could even use the death benefit, although we talk mostly about the, the living benefits on this show of life insurance and the ability to bank on yourself. One interesting mm-hmm. piece here, Kevin, you probably know, is uh, that life insurance has a death benefit tied to it, which can a lot of times help pay those estate taxes on real estate if there's an estate tax issue or to equalize the gift to the sibling that doesn't want to deal with that rental property, but just wants the cash. Do you want to speak to that at all? Do you ever experience anything like that on your side of the ledger as a commercial lender? The idea of helping solve the problems of an inheritance through life insurance? Has that ever come up in your business? Yeah, the products that you offer and your services are a critical piece in terms of dealing with real estate and and family and estates and so on and so forth. So I think a lot of people don't realize that until, you know, it's too late. So again, I actually have a situation now where a lady, her mother passed. She thought she was a, a part of the trust, but found out that she isn't. And so the mother passed away, the bank found out that the mother passed away. And now the bank, because the daughter is not on the mortgage. So now the bank that has the loan is trying to accelerate the mortgage and take the property. And so the property has a ton of equities. So it's worth a good, you know, half a million plus, and they only owe about 150,000. But now the daughter has to figure out a way to, to, to fight this, but the mother had no will. And so I'm trying to assist her with trying to uh, unwind the situation. I told her to get the payoff and then we will work our way from there in terms of getting her qualified to acquire the property. So yeah, those situations do arise. And unfortunately it's, it becomes like almost a last minute thing. Wow. Yeah. It's liquid cash in the midst of opportunities and emergencies or life-changing events. So you've got a ton of deals that you help people with. Your portfolio itself is over $1 billion strong. How do you do that? Right. How do you guys uh, collect that uh, kind of portfolio? You've got properties in Chicago, Colorado, mm-hmm. and more, Texas. Walk us through that uh, and, and tell us how that came about. Sure. So the good thing about working for Bank Financial, which is a, I call it, I like to call it like a hybrid. So we're a community-based national bank. And so what that means is that we're based out of Illinois, but we have satellite offices in different cities like Wisconsin and Colorado and uh, Florida and and, uh, Georgia and Texas and Utah. So what that means is that Not only can we lend in Illinois, but we can do deals in other states. So it offers uh, flexibility for investors to be able to deal with me and in turn 
if there are any issues that arise, I'm able to communicate with my boss who is direct to the you know senior vice president of commercial lending. Unlike if you went to a larger institution, say for example, like a Chase, I don't think many loan officers can contact and make a phone call and call Jamie Diamond and say, hey, look, I got this issue with this right. loan. Can you help me out? <laughs> so, yeah, not exactly. <laughs> so I think that's the, the big difference is that we're a little bit more nimble and that we can accelerate any type of issues that arise. So what additionally, what that means, Mark, is that as a smaller bank, we have to keep our capital working for us. We don't have a couple of billion dollars in reserves just sitting there where we can just stop lending and just earn dividends or interest on our money. We have to keep investors' money circulating. That's why we have certain goals that we set, and that's why our portfolio has grown the way it has. Okay, so you've got investors coming to you with cash. You've right. also got borrowers coming in the front door of the bank asking right. for money. Tell me about your target markets. It seems like mm -hmm. you guys have in-house loans up to 10 million bucks for folks right. who need money, uh, who want to do that 12 unit or 20 unit or whatever. But then there's also these investors that come in the back door of the bank, so to speak, to capitalize it, I assume. Is that right? So essentially the bank has shareholders like any other bank. And so they're, I guess they're investing in the bank. And so they become the bank's shareholders. And then we have the the executive uh, board and, and, and members on the board. So they have a vested interest in the direction and the capital requirements of the bank. And then we have on the front end, like you said, individuals that make deposits into the bank and they keep various accounts, so checking, savings, CDs, and so forth. And so, like I said, that money has to continue to circulate. And that's when we provide the lending arm of, of the bank, commercial lending and multifamily lending. Love it. I want to make a detour for a minute, Kevin, and then I want to return back to your experience as a commercial lender. Uh, so a lot of our listeners will say, why is the guy talking about bank on yourself bringing on a banker sure. such as yourself? Guys, the honest truth is, uh, unless you've got $10 million in cash value and, and you want to invest in commercial real estate, you're going to need to partner with a bank that you trust for anything above your own cash value in the policies. So good on you. If you've got $10 million of life insurance cash value, that's awesome. <laughs> for all the rest of us, you exactly. can call on Kevin or folks at Bank Financial or other similar institutions to rely on you guys to partner on big deals. Now, what's neat about this is the metaphor of the bank that Kevin just described in, in a real bank can be applied to the life insurance. And here's what I mean. You know, you are the banker when you are putting, paying premiums into the policy. You're bringing money in the back door of the bank, capitalizing the cash value of the life insurance. At the same time, you can also be the borrower of that same institution. Kevin, I don't know if you own your home or whatever, but I don't know if Bank Financial even offers personal lending for conventional mortgages. But I would imagine that you might have a better deal working with Bank Financial for your own home mortgage rather than mm -hmm. going to Chase Bank down the street. I would assume that there's some advantages to being a shareholder even at Bank Financial and then getting your loans from Bank Financial. That seems like a great deal because then I'm paying as a borrower, I'm paying loan interest to the bank that I co-own as a shareholder. Pretty cool. The same is true with the life insurance. When I borrow against my life insurance policy, I'm the borrower 
but in essence, I'm the owner of that quote unquote bank. And I just think it's neat to hear it from the bank's perspective as well. Now, Kevin, any feedback or thoughts on on that before we move on? Yeah, Mark, I think you I think you nailed it. Yeah, it makes more sense to invest in a more community-based bank where you can become more involved as a shareholder and make a difference. When you have that cash value and whole life policy, that's an asset. So we put that asset on your personal financial statement and that will enhance your net worth. And so when we go to underwrite uh, a deal for you, a, a commercial or multifamily deal, it looks good to have a strong asset on your balance sheet. Yeah, you've got that liquid source of capital. And I think you bring up a great point there, Kevin. Not every bank or banker is even aware that life insurance can be used as an asset on your balance sheet for your deals, for your personal needs, for your business, your real estate investing business, whatever. Do you ever encounter cash value life insurance and in your underwriting and so forth? And how does that usually get played out? Yeah, the funny thing about it, Mark, is a lot of people put, I see all types of things put on them. Oh, on a, you got to tell us one or two crazy things here. What are you seeing like comic books and stuff on there? Tell, tell us what you're seeing on that balance sheet. <laughs> yeah, you see uh, furniture, furs, jewelry. Mostly, mostly what I see is a lot of people put cars. I've had deals where a guy owned several laundromats and he owned a Rolls Royce and he was paying like, some ridiculous amount of money, $10,000 a month for it. And I just flat out told him, look, you have to sell that. That's hurting your, your debt ratio. Right. <laughs> what, what I meant, what I was leading towards was that in terms of life insurance, I see a lot of people put their term policy. And unfortunately, that doesn't help because there's no cash value. Right. Um, it's just face value and we can't use that. Is not really a current asset. Obviously, it's a future asset in case you, you pass away and your family gets the, the term policy. But whole life, we can use that cash value as an asset. And Kevin, so, you brought up a word that's never been shared on this podcast before. But what is the difference in your mind between a future asset and a current asset? And then relate that to term insurance versus whole life. Describe that again. Sure. So in terms of a future asset, what I meant was that the term policy is just you paying just for the face value of it. So I can't take the future value of a death benefit and, and use that as an asset on your balance sheet. It's not today. unless you got to hit out on my life, I guess. <laughs> right. So, you know, that's what I meant by that. But in terms of the cash value on the whole life, we can use that because that's a current asset that's growing and we can use that uh, in case of any type of liquidation situation. Yeah. Wow. That's great. So a current asset, that's a categorical difference between whole life insurance and term. Not that there's anything wrong with term insurance, guys. Uh, you have a current asset when you have a cash value life insurance policy. Now, man, that's great stuff, Kevin. I wanted to change gears just a little bit Tell me what it's like when you have to go outside of bank financials programs and reach for capital markets. Sure. First of all, tell us what are capital markets and when do you typically need to look outside of your own portfolio or cash reserves, whatever, for lending? 
And then specifically, I'd like to know who you look for, who are the sources of money when Bank Financial's own book of business needs to look outside to capital markets? Our sweet spot in terms of portfolio loans are loans, say, a million and under. We can do those in-house. And those are 100% what we call recourse loans, meaning that you personally guarantee those loans. Obviously, you close in a company name, or LLC, or an incorporated company, but you personally guarantee it with your credit and assets and, and so forth. So once we get above a million dollars, then we have to reach out to our correspondent relationships in the capital markets. And so those relationships are institutions, they are like Fannie and Freddie, the CMBS capital markets, and we deal with private institutions such as hedge funds and family office. And then lastly, we deal with large life insurance companies that provide capital for lending. And a lot of people aren't aware of that, but a lot of these major life insurance companies have different arms. And one of their arms are lending in the capital markets. That's awesome. And it was a surprise when I was reading through some of your details uh, that's specifically listed and mentioned that life insurance companies are some of your relationships that the bank has. So that's interesting, I feel, that the bank then relies on a number of other relationships, Fannie and Freddie, CMBS, FHA, and private hedge funds, and then, oh, by the way, life insurance companies. I don't know if off the top of your head, how much comes from life insurance to bank financial, either percentage-based or dollar-based each year? Mm -hmm. Any guesses on that? Off the top of my head, I'm just thinking, obviously, a good 70 to 75% go to Fannie and Freddie, the CMBS Mm -hmm. market. But then you have your your private equity firms probably, Mm -hmm. you know, take another 10% or so. And then you have your life insurance companies probably in the range of 10 to 15% of that share. Because it's not a lot of them. It's only a right. handful of them that do. It's not a lot. Yeah. yeah. I, I feel it's really interesting. So if you want to go upstream financially, you can go from renter to homeowner, and then homeowner to home investor, and then home investor to commercial real estate investor. See mm-hmm. where I'm going here? And then sure. go even further upstream to being the banker yourself. So banking exactly. on yourself. But then one step further than even bank on yourself is everybody else banks on you too. Right, so exactly. the life insurance companies have figured out that even banks are using, among other sources and other relationships like the government's Fannie Freddie and so forth, but private companies like life insurance companies are being used by banks to facilitate a good chunk of the large commercial loans. And you guys, I'm reading here that you can get loans up to $200 million from these outside oh, yeah. relationships. Yeah, exactly. And they love the large loans. They like loans 5, 10 million plus. They 25, 50 million is 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 a drop in the bucket. <laughs> yeah. That's so crazy. That's so crazy for us mere yeah. mortals like us. But that's I think just a, re- a reminder and an eye opener. Now, what is it like working? Do you ever deal directly with these life insurance companies, Kevin, when it comes time to getting these larger pieces or ever ha- do you have sure. any stories of, yeah. of how those conversations go? Yeah, basically, I just communicate directly with them, email them the scenario that I might have, and they'll email me back and say, Kevin, this deal is too small, or they say, okay, yeah, we're interested, 
give me a full package. And so that's when I started putting the package together, sizing up the deal. I do preliminary analysis and I send it over to them. And so from there, they take it away in terms of underwriting and tell me what's needed and so we can get it closed. Very cool. What's in it for the these outside relationships, these private equity firms, these life insurance companies? Are they just looking for the cash flow? Is it the fixed income? That right. Looking? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, they're looking for the cash flow. They're looking for a certain yield for the investors. And that's pretty much what they look for. They want the cash flow for the investors and the yield. And so for our clients and uh, folks that are bank on yourself revolutionaries, as we call them, policyholders that are using this policy like a bank, guys, you don't have to be Grant Cardone to be doing these huge deals. You can participate with these large deals as a co-owner, in essence, uh, with a mutual life insurance company. You are a co-owner, in essence, with that whole life insurance company, uh, whereas mm -hmm. a, a publicly traded life insurance company is going to be owned by the shareholders on Wall Street. If it's mutually owned, you mm -hmm. are the owner of the company that made that investment with Kevin. Mm -hmm. And by the way, if that investment does go belly up, which it's Kevin's job to make sure it doesn't, <laughs> but if it does go belly up, then you still have the underlying guaranteed cash value accumulation on the life insurance that mm -hmm. the life insurance company is willing to take it on the chin with that deal that went upside down. Uh, but you're still going to have more cash in your policy this year than you had last year. Mm -hmm. Now I, I'm, I'm speaking to my audience there, but, uh, but right. Kevin, you know, from your perspective, uh, you've got an obligation to your shareholders at Bank Financial to make sure that these deals don't fall apart, that, that you guys are set, setting yourself apart as a premier place for investors to bring their investments and for borrowers to come looking for real estate capital. Oh, sure, sure. Yeah. And I, I'll tell you another thing, uh, Mark, I've seen during these times is I've seen some private investors take whatever it may be, whether it's a 401k or whole life cash value mm -hmm. and become private lenders themselves. They lend it out at for, say, an investor that wants to do a fix and flip or a buy a, a small uh, multi-unit, and they may charge them anywhere from 10, 11, 12% on their money and take a, a lean position on the property. So that's another thing I've been seeing out in the marketplace. Mm. And if anybody needs assistance with that, I can show them how that's done. Wait, so you're saying if, let's say, I want to be a private money lender and I've got uh, either a 401k monies or cash value life insurance, and I want to lend out my cash value to somebody else, you'd help do some of the underwriting due diligence? Yeah, exactly. It's the same process that I go through with underwriting for our portfolio or, or any type of capital markets. It's the same process you want to look for, the same in terms of the property and, and making sure cash flows and debt services and that the individual borrower qualifies and can support the debt. Fantastic. That's I, I know you've just perked up a lot of ears saying that, Kevin. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. So let's bring this in for a landing. Tell me when you realized you had a passion for what you do now. It was early on. I, I graduated from U of I in, in marketing. To be honest with you, it was probably the, the easiest degree to get. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, after I graduated, I, I, I knew I really, I had a idea. I liked marketing, but then I've always liked finance. And so when I got out of school, I looked for opportunities in finance. Ironically, I started my first three years out of college. I worked for Walgreens as in the management program. And that was interesting mm -hmm. in itself. But yeah, I've known 
since when I was in college, because I've always and marveled at these finance guys and bankers that make Google out some money and just how the process works. I've always, my father's always talked to me about the society being a capitalist society and how you have to understand capitalism and finance. And so just very early on, I, I really had that passion for it. I'm, this, and the, other, the other ironic thing, Mark, is I was not good at math in school. Mm-hmm, just, mm-hmm. But I, I understood basic world finance, basic finance in terms of how money works and, and lending. I think applied mathematics is the the real deal. We can talk about calculus formulas until we're blue in the face, but until it changes a human life, changes the financial plan of a person, helps yeah. somebody do what they're trying to do with purchasing a multifamily building or whatnot, I think that's when it really becomes fun. At least that's been my experience with math. It's yeah. the language of the aliens, they say. <laughs> <laughs> but exactly. if you can help somebody achieve their financial goals, that's when it becomes real. So yeah. tell us how we can follow up with you if we want to dive deeper, Kevin, into some of the work you offer and services you offer investors. How can we find out more about you? Well, they can contact me directly via email at kgreer at bankfinancial.com or they can call myself. Uh, which is 312-525-1131. And I'm on LinkedIn. They can see my profile and contact me via LinkedIn. What I want to leave uh, your listeners with, uh, Mark, is that what sets me apart is that it's my you know experience and knowledge in the industry because I've, I've worked from consumer lending on up to residential and, and, and now commercial. I've been on bank REO committees and disposition teams. And lastly, I'm an investor myself. Look at deals from the lens of the investor. So when someone comes to me and says they want to buy investment property, I try to show them and analyze the deal up front. And then from that point of view, work my way backwards to showing them how to get prepared and what they need to do. Because mm-hmm. a lot of times people don't know how to underwrite and analyze deals or they unsure. And so that's how they end up getting in a bad deal. So I try to help investors prevent that. Fantastic. Very good. And Kevin, you're I think you're in good hands when you work with Kevin, guys. So talk to him if you have questions or would like to dive deeper into some of his opportunities. And so, Kevin, thank you so much for being on our show today. No, thank you, Mark. I'm you know, really excited. And I I really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you again, Kevin, for coming on our show. Some of my notes and takeaways from this episode were, first, it is fascinating to look up the food chain. It's fascinating to look up the food chain, especially in the financial food chain. Isn't it cool to know that we have access to a financial insurance company where we can be co-owners, in essence, with the insurance company that is putting money into the hands of commercial banks? And the banks then are then putting money into the hands of commercial real estate investors all over the country. That is so cool. Us average Joes, not your average Joes, can look up and down the streets of our cities across this country and imagine being co-owner in the insurance company that made that building down the street possible. I remember sitting in the hotel room of a company that was owned by an insurance company that I had a policy with. And because it was a mutually owned life insurance company, in some small way, I owned a part of that hotel. Maybe it was just like the the pin inside the desk, inside the hotel room that I might've been the owner of, but still, that was so cool. Second takeaway, it is time to review your finances. 
What in your financial portfolio is a current asset and what is a future asset? That was a key phrase that Kevin brought up and I took special note of it. What could be used within a relatively short period of time? And what would you need to wait for the future to receive? Term insurance, a future asset. Whole life insurance, a current asset. Uh, What a bank refers to as a current asset is important when getting a bank loan, but it's also important in just having a sound financial portfolio. So look into what is a current asset and what is a future asset. The third takeaway, simply reach out to Kevin if you have questions on getting into commercial real estate investing. So guys, this was a lot of fun. Thank you again, Kevin. And thank you everyone for joining me for another episode of Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. This has been another episode of the Not Your Average Financial Podcast. To join the financial revolution and start thinking different about money, go to www.nyafinancialpodcast.com and click Request a Meeting. The topics presented in this podcast are for general information only and not for the purposes of providing legal, accounting, or investment advice. On such matters, please consult a professional who knows your specific situation.